I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Today, my colleagues from the Montreal Gazette discuss the case of a transgender woman locked up for murder fighting to be transferred out of a men's prison. A Quebec prisoner is trying to persuade a judge to let her be moved to a women's prison, a move that Quebec's prison system is fighting. It's complicated. The prisoner, Jamie Bulacanis, transitioned last year to being a woman. She says it's dangerous and humiliating to be kept in a male prison outside of Quebec City. But Quebec's public security ministry says this is just another attempt by Bulacanis to try to escape from the justice system. I'm Monique Baudin, and I'm joined by Paul Cherry, the Montreal Gazette's crime reporter. He has been covering Bulacanis for nearly a decade. So, who is Jamie Bulacanis? From what we know of her life as a young person, uh, it's just a sliver uh, that comes out of a uh, criminal case against her friend, a lawyer who was convicted of tampering with a witness in Bulacanis' murder trial. Uh, to make things even more complicated, that lawyer's had a second trial and is awaiting a decision uh, on that in that ju- witness tampering case. During that trial, the lawyer said, the friend of Bulacanis said, They grew up together in uh, Montreal's Greek community. They went to uh, Hellenic Scouts together. Uh, So basically a typical upbringing uh, upbringing in uh, Montreal's uh, Greek community in in a pocket where a lot of uh, Greek immigrants settled in Montreal. Uh, It sounded from the testimony like a typical upbringing. The the lawyer said he had a lot of respect, a lot of respect for Bulacanis' parents. He said they were very well respected within the community. By the early 20s, Bulacanis is committing uh, a lot of petty crimes, but also taking huge risks, uh, dealing in heroin. Gets involved in this, this stolen car ring that just seemed to be stealing cars uh, right, left, and center. Uh, they would take, they would buy old cars from a, uh, from a junkyard, take the VIN numbers, and then steal the same make of car and exchange the uh, the VIN numbers. And What's then a VIN number? It. It's, a, it's a, like a, the car that, uh, I'm, what do you call it, a, like a serial number on okay. the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically change the identity of the car after having stolen it. That was their, that was their racket, the small group of uh, car thieves. So she's, in the, in, or she's involved in this stolen car ring. And then what happened in 1997? That was around the time when this car ring was operating, right? That's right. It, it, it was very, very active. At the center of it were these four characters. Bulacanis, Robert Tanguay, and these two other people who unfortunately I can't name because of a very strange publication ban that was put on the uh, murder trial. Mm-hmm. These two accomplices uh, helped in the murder of Robert Tanguay. Uh, I'll, I'll get back to the story, the, the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Bulacanis starts to convince two other people in the ring, these two other men who cannot be named, mm-hmm. um, starts to claim I think Robert Tanguay is a uh, is a rat. I think Robert Tanguay is feeding the police information on us. These two other men who are not geniuses that came out of the trial. Mm-hmm. They are not the smartest. This is not Mensa. This is really, really, really basic. Okay. <laughs> and um, they go along with him. They believe him mm-hmm. for, for reasons that were never really made clear. He convinces them, look, we got to get rid of this guy. And there's this plan. It says, look, we're going to offer him uh, something like a big Oldsmobile Cutlass, I think it was, uh, as a reward for the job he's done for stealing cars for us. They say, well, we have to bring him to this sand pit in Rigo, a town north of here. They, they go along with it. And there's evidence that they would later claim, one would later claim, I didn't really know that he, uh, that Bulacanis was going to kill Tongay. 
I just thought this was all a big ruse to scare Tongue. I don't I don't believe that for a second. Um, they bought lime. Lime is used to make bodies decompose faster. These are the two the two people, the two men who should not be named. <laughs> they do other things to prepare and, and they dig the hole. The hole is dug in this sand pit before Bulacan, uh, before Tongay even arrives. One of the men who cannot be named is told, go pick up Tongay, bring him here. That's what happens. It doesn't go well. The murder doesn't go well. The guy gets out of, he even said, he even, uh, Tongay told the guy who drove him to his death. He said, on the, on the way, said, is this a trap shoot? Is this, a, you know, am I about to be killed, basically? So the suspicions were already there. It didn't go well. According to the testimony, Bulacanis had to chase him around, chase him into a forested area, shot him. Had already shot him before they got into the forested area. It was a mess. Uh, they put him in the sandpit, bury him. And the smarter of the two men, who cannot be named, starts to ask questions. And Bulacanis points a gun at him and says, don't ever ask me any more questions. And the motive, that, that at the start of the trial, that's how the prosecution referred to the motive that, that it, you know, they thought Tongay was, uh, everyone involved thought Tongay was an informant. But what clearly emerged, the evidence that clearly emerged is that Bulikanis had a relationship with Tongay's wife. And like the day after this happened, Tongay's sister goes to visit her brother at his house. And who comes out of the master bedroom, Bulikanis. And Tongay's wife comes out in a see-through teddy. So this murder occurred in 1997. What happened next? Bulikanis is told that, I, I believe the police weren't even, weren't even uh, subtle about it. They basically said, we, this guy's gone missing. We like you for that. We're looking at you for that. So you have several witnesses who are saying, uh, this guy's disappeared. Bulikanis wanted him dead. Bulikanis apparently tried to kill Tongay the day before but was talked out of it because they were, uh, they were at, I think, Tongay's house. And there was this argument inside a garage in Tongay's house and uh, Bulacanis had an uh, axe in her hand and said, uh, I'm going to kill you to Tongay and, and grabbed him. And it got pretty violent. And one of the men who turned out to be an accomplice in the murder said, calm down. The, the, Tongay's children are right there. And there's four, I think there was a birthday party, a kid's birthday party going on inside the house. Uh, so there's a lot of witnesses who knew that if Robert Tongay is missing, it's likely that Bulacanis is behind it. So, and Bulacanis is also later charged with uh, the heroin trafficking, sold heroin to an undercover officer. So the case was pretty solid. Um, Bulacanis takes off. She takes off, and the the amazing uh, route that comes out after is, is, is it's astonishing. Uh, goes to Greece, lives in Greece for a while comes back, manages to come back to Canada where, uh, I don't think the, the charge hadn't come out yet, but manages to come back to Ontario, obviously under an alias though, because uh, she's wanted in, on, in the, uh, the heroin case, um, manages to live in Ontario with a woman, at her, I believe at the parents' house, the couple take off to, uh, to, to America and live there. The life there, it, it's bewildering. It, when the police finally catch up, it's an amazing story. Um, the, I don't even think the jury even heard that story, if my memory serves me correctly. Bulacanis is with this woman in uh, New Jersey on a boat. The boat gets into trouble. They call for help. The Coast Guard comes. 
takes them onto the boat, brings them to shore, asks for identity. Bulacanis hands over an identity card that has the same name of, of a Greek prime minister from the 1950s. <laughs> the woman Bulacanis is with has a, a fake ID card. Uh, they start to get suspicious. They let them go, but say, you know, stay around. We, we're looking into your identities. They look at photos and suddenly they realize, wait a minute, by then, this person, Bulacanis, is one of the most wanted people <laughs> in Quebec. Uh, Bulacanis had been placed on Quebec's top 10 most wanted list, the first ever top 10 most wanted list. They realized, oh man, we just let a suspected murderer go. Mm -hmm. They go back to the boat, the boat's abandoned. They don't have an interest in the boat. And it's years later. I think about this, this is after 9-11. Through tracking down, they come to realize who the woman was with Bulacanis. And they start to investigate her. And that's what all these financial records and everything finally brings them to Florida. And in this court document that was used in the case, but I don't think it was presented to the jury. There's this amazing tale of these U.S. Marshals standing on a runway waiting as Bulacanis is in a Cessna plane, flying a Cessna herself and landing it at this airport in Florida. And that's when they, they finally arrest her. Yeah, this is after 9-11. Bulacanis used another identity, was able to get a pilot's license, was able to, it's astonishing. They go to the house where the couple lived and they find uh, uh, everything you need to make uh, amazing, very high quality fake IDs. So Bulacanis was brought back to Canada to face mm -hmm. these first degree murder charges. And what happened then? Uh, there's a lot of uh, pretrial hearings. Uh, that requires transfers from uh, the Montreal Detention Center to a, court, a courthouse near Montreal called the Valleyfield Courthouse. There's a series of them made without incident, but then one day while they're bringing Bulacanis to the Valleyfield Courthouse, all of a sudden, boom, Bulacanis is, is bolting from the, the bus. and it, it makes no sense to them because Bulacanis is restrained, uh, legs, hands. It's a small bus that I think was especially designed for, they thought, there's a chance of people escaping. It's not on a big, big bus with other prisoners. It's uh, they're chained to the uh, to this bar in the bus. Uh, there's a lot of restraints, but Bulacanis makes it out. Total surprise to everyone. Alarm goes off in the bus, uh, and uh, Bulacanis' freedom doesn't last very long. Uh, one of the guards chases her, tackles her, and in the meantime, another. Another guard is putting out the word to police in the area. There's a police officer who happens to be nearby, also joins in, arrests. They bring Bulacanis to uh, to a hospital because she complained that her leg was was hurting her. All these little surprises come out. Uh, Bulacanis has a hammer designed to smash windows with. It's a small, tiny little hammer. Mm -hmm. Bulacanis has a list of all the witnesses in her murder case. And their addresses. It was a, it was a list the Crown gave over by accident. Normally, you just give that to uh, to the defense, and I don't think you have to include the uh, the home addresses. But it was handed over to Bulacanis by accident on a computer disk that that Bulacanis could look at in jail. There was uh, also a, a canister with the cash in it, and the the, the belief was that the first thing Bulacanis was going to do was was get rid of some of these uh, these witnesses, especially the two accomplices. Mm -hmm. Uh, appeared to be by the evidence that they were at the top of the list. Brought back to prison and they, they say the authorities decide, well, 
we have to take extra precaution here. And and there's cameras everywhere. Um, I believe Bulikanov was in a uh, higher level of security. But months later, they find Bulikanov has managed to get the same the same type of metal saws. However, she got them onto the bus. The same type of metal saws are in <laughs> this more secure area in in the cell. And if, if my memory serves me correct, there was a uh, rope, a braided rope that somehow made it into. And then that uh, that was the, the most amazing thing to watch during the, the murder trial was the reactions of the guards and, and the security people who always said, I, "I have no idea how this person did this." It, it, they were they were genuinely amazed. Speaking of the surprises from the Bulacanis trial, there were also several attempts that she made to try to intimidate witnesses. Right mm-hmm. during the trial, could you tell us a little bit about that? One was uh, Bulacanis was with another inmate and they developed a relationship. They became friends. They came to trust each other. They were in a very secure area, a uh, very high security area. And uh, it must've been very hard for them to trust anybody in that, in that area, but they came to be friends. Bulikanis says, uh, I'll give you X amount of money if you can uh, rough up this witness for me. I don't want to, I don't want the person dead. I just want this person to be roughed up so they get a message before they come to testify at my trial. And the uh, the person says, "Yeah, don't worry, we'll take care of it." And lied, said, "Yeah, yeah, we we roughed the we roughed the person up. Don't worry about it." We took, and completely lied. Uh, there, then another thing comes up. That's the case with the with the lawyer, uh, where uh, a woman was asked to put a video up on YouTube. It was of one of the witnesses, uh, an informant in the case, who would testify uh, at his trial. And it's the pre-trial, uh, it's a statement to the police that basically identifies the person as a snitch. The Crown's theory was you wanted the whole world to know that this guy was a snitch and that hopefully the, the, the person would get killed because they're a snitch. He argued, I just gave the wrong disc to, uh, to this other inmate who snuck it out. I wanted to show the living conditions at, uh, at the detention center, that they were terrible. I just wanted that. Either way, by the time the police found out about it, only 16 people had viewed the video on YouTube. So obviously it wasn't very, very interesting. Uh, and that's where the, but that is where the lawyer uh, came in because Bulacanis claimed, uh, just said, could you give uh, this envelope to this woman? Um, the lawyer went, met with the woman, I think it was out of Tim Hortons, just handed the envelope. And he, the lawyer later, later testified I had been paying, I've been doing errands, running errands for Bulacanis from because they were friends. I had been running errands for him for, for months, doing things like paying bills and stuff like that. To me, it was just another one of those things. Uh, that was his defense. What was the conclusion of the trial? Like what happened in the end? The jury convicted uh, Bulacanis of uh, first degree murder. That's an automatic life sentence with the parole eligibility set uh, normally at uh, 25 years. Uh, that's basically how the, the, that case came to an end. And now Bulacanis is back in the news now. Uh, in the past few weeks, we've been hearing about her again. Can you talk about how, how she's come back to our attention? As soon as she was transferred to the uh, Donna Connor Institution, that's a, one of the highest security prisons, uh, maximum security prisons in Canada. As soon as she's transferred there, she starts to say, I, I see myself as a woman. I- I'd like to t- start the process of, 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 of becoming a woman asked to see a psychologist. It is part of the, uh, the process. Sees a, a, a psychologist who recommends, yes, uh, this, this process should start. Bulacanis undergoes uh, hormone therapy. 
She requests gender reassignment surgery, uh, which hasn't actually happened yet, uh, and is, is in the eyes of the law, becomes a woman. Her name is changed from John Bulacanis to Jamie Bulacanis. It's official. It's, it's all in black and white. And then Bulacanis complains that then, therefore, I should be in a, a woman's penitentiary and says, I'm being discriminated against now because I'm a woman in a men's uh, penitentiary. You can imagine that there must be discrimination going on uh, and files this complaint. So in federal court last year, it's, um, it's a request that just says, just for the time being, because I'm being discriminated against, can you just please transfer me to to uh, a woman's penitentiary? The Bucanis offered two uh, two options: the Joliet Prison, which is north of Montreal, which I've only seen from the outside, and it seems pretty easy to escape from, to be honest. And there's another one uh, I forget the name of it outside of Quebec. I don't know what the the, the level is, but there's a huge difference between. Montreal, um, between men's penitentiaries, federal penitentiaries, and women's penitentiaries in Canada. I just learned this from reading the federal court judgment. I didn't even know this. The, in women's penitentiaries, the guards are not allowed to carry guns at all. And just by design, uh, based on the, this, this famous inquiry that Louise Arbour held in the 1990s after a problem at a Kingston's uh, a, a penitentiary in Kingston for women. It was a, it was a nightmare there. Uh, all kinds of things were changed. That, that make it less harsh, a less harsh environment for women. Basically, what it, what it, to summarize it, a woman's penitentiary is much less secure than a men's penitentiary. And that's what Correctional Service Canada is arguing. They're saying, we have concerns based on all this history, the history that I've just described. Uh, we have concerns that, that Bully Canis is going to try to bolt from the prison. Um, and the, you know, the, there's an official process to this. The, the, the penitentiary in Joliet was asked, you know, would you accept this 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 inmate, this uh, in offender? And they said, no, clearly, no. And the, but the amazing thing is that the federal court in the spring last year, a federal court judge said, this person in, in the when you bring this down to very very basic elements, you're this person is being discriminated against. You got to transfer her to uh, to Joliet or to to a, a woman's penitentiary. And basically, Correctional Service Canada just said no, appealed the federal court decision. And not only that, they transferred Bulacanis from Donnacona, which is near Quebec City, near a metropolitan area where, you know, presumably Bulacanis can receive visitors and, and things like that. They transfer her to Port Cartier, which is one of the most remote <laughs> penitentiaries, I think, in Canada. Uh, and in to escape from there would be amazing because you have to not only, I believe it's maximum security as well, but not only that, you're in this remote area where if you escape, you're, if you don't have a car waiting for you, you've got to walk into this small town nearby <laughs> and try to find a car or whatever, trying to find a means of escaping it, to wherever you want to go. And I, I should also point out, I just remembered that also when Bulacanis arrived at Donacana, not only did she say, um, uh, I, I, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. Bulacanis apparently also said to, uh, to guards, um, I'm, a, I'm not going to be here for very long. And I know every country, every foreign country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with Canada. So you can see Correctional Service Canada's concerns. 
And these are the things that that uh, the, the judge in the new request has to consider, has to weigh. So there was a new hearing a couple of weeks ago, and uh, these issues were discussed at this hearing that was held in Montreal. And so what's next now for Jamie Bulacanis? Like, what's the next step for her? There's two things. There's the, the, the judge is going to uh, render a decision uh, in February on this case. It's like uh, the judge is a very uh, logical person uh, and, and will, in my opinion, will, will side on the, on the law. And we'll say Bulacanis is a woman in Canadian law and likely be uh, in step with the Federal Court of Canada. At the same time, you'll have, you'll have Correctional Service Canada that's, that's just basically going to be saying, no way. Uh, it, it, this might have to go to the Supreme Court of Canada, to be honest, to, to, to get settled. But at the same time, there's the issue of the, the surgery, the gender reassignment surgery. Um, the, what, what came out of the, uh, the hearings last week was that Bulacanis has requested the surgery, uh, but requires um, requires an assessment by an, a second psychologist in order for it to uh, be perform- performed. Thank you very much. Paul Cherry is the Gazette's crime reporter. I'm Anik Bodang. Thank you for listening. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production by Dave Rudin. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Monique Baudin and Paul Cherry. More from them at MontrealGazette.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.